Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Good morning, good evening, whatever time it is that you're tuning in to Line Drive Radio. Welcome aboard. It is a Thursday, July 15th. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, holding down the LDR board here in, or on Long Island, as we say here, on Long Island in New York, and hanging out with my uh, LDR teammate, Mr. Tad Bamford, who is on the road somewhere out in the Midwest. What's going on, brother? Uh, there is more than corn in Indiana. There are baseball tournaments, apparently. Uh, <laughs> so here we are, uh, just north of Indianapolis, representing uh, top tier, chasing the chasing the dream in a tournament with the with the middle one this week. So, you know, it's uh, it's something to do when it's you know eighty upper eighties and a thousand percent humidity in, in Indiana. Go uh, go sit on artificial turf and sweat. A state so. I have not been to yet. I've I've flown over it, but I have not been to Indiana. Yeah, it's. Uh, I went to college in Indiana, um, but for many people, it is a drive-through flyover state. But Indianapolis is a great town, great sports town. Uh, Indianapolis Indians have a gorgeous ballpark, so vastly underrated in my opinion. Uh, totally worth it, especially if they have NCAA tournament games in Indy. That's a totally different animal. So highly recommend uh, Indianapolis to anyone who is looking for some type of a, a non-major vacation somewhere that's pretty cool to go. The Children's Museum is world-class, uh, and there's other cool stuff like the museum at the Indy 500 track and stuff like that. So, But we're not doing any of that. We're uh, we're watching the kids play baseball for five days. So, good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, good luck to you and the boys. Knock them dead out there. Bring home a trophy or a medal. They give them trophies and medals these days. I don't know. They got the last uh, last tournament. They got a big fat championship looking ring. Nice. So those are pretty cool for 10, 11 year old kids to get a big fat ring that's got all sorts of bling on it. So uh, I don't know what we get for this one, but I know uh, you know the first game went well. We're nine nine two winners in our first game. So uh, hopefully we keep chasing it and playing good defense. So right. three double plays in six innings. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> 10, is, that, is that good or is that really six. bad on the other team? <laughs> uh, we've turned uh, turned a couple legit four six three double plays, which is pretty good for 10, 11 year olds. So uh, it's good to see the defense showed up. Nice, some rotation there on the second baseman. You shortstops pitching oh, and yeah. turning, yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> drop the hips and get rid of it, kids. <laughs> good stuff. All right, well, uh, glad they're getting rings. I'm sure they're not getting the million dollars that Pete Alonso won from the uh, home run derby. So here we are. Uh, we are post-All-Star game. Two beautiful nights there in uh, Denver, Colorado. Um, and uh, I got to say, it was a, a really fun uh, home run derby, and I thought the game was uh, pretty great, too. I got in and out of uh, a bunch of innings during the game, but uh, I, I definitely tuned in and, and checked out uh, – Otani there and, and uh, Juan Soto, uh, the first round there in Home Run Derby. But uh, just uh, some great stuff. Uh, Vlad uh, uh, Guerrero Jr. wins the MVP for the uh, for the game with a home run and RBI there, home run in the third and Ribby in the fifth. And um, the American League extends their win streak to eight years in a row, Tab. Um, what's going on there? Well, uh, I think if you look over the past decade, that uh, just the bats that the American League brings to the table have been superior. I mean, from the National League perspective, obviously, if you've got Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer, it's a little bit of a different animal from a pitching perspective. Um, 
you know, the heartbreaking injury to Ronald Acuna Jr. with the torn ACL ending his season, um, you know, took one of the more dynamic players out of the lineup for the National League, too. But the American League has just gotten it done. And, you know, short of, you know, I think, you know, having a hot mic on Liam Hendricks there at the end of the game, <laughs> uh, good luck paying those fines, uh, Fox. <laughs> But uh, short of that, I think it was, overall it was you know a great experience. I think Shohei lived up to the hype. Um, you know, Vladdy, second youngest player uh, to hit a home run in the All Star game. Johnny Bench in 1969 was the youngest youngest MVP ever, beating out uh, you know knocking Ken Griffey Jr. off the list. Uh, so again, you're looking at a game that a lot of people are talking about how antiquated it is and the old guard, and then you turn on the all-star game in the home run derby and you're watching 22 year olds like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Fernando Tatis Jr. And all these young guys, Ozzy Albies, just absolutely putting on a show. And again, baseball is in such a great place. Uh, if they just spent more time corporately celebrating that. As like Pete Alonso, I mean, everybody was like, "Oh, the home run derby's dead. It's boring." And then you got Pete Alonso out here, like his own hype man. He's like Flava Flav for the home run derby, <laughs> John, he, t- burning his time out not to drink Gatorade and get himself right, but to get the crowd back excited. And he's like dancing in the box, like he, he's here for this. Uh, it, and it's not that he's just some jamoke that shows up at the long drive contest at the country club to make a couple hundred bucks, like Happy Gilmore did. Like he's a legit player who just believes that he's the best pure home run hitter in the game and loves to show it every single year in the Derby. And now he's won back to back. I think my favorite nugget uh, stat fun fact, however you want to put it from the all-star game was Pete Alonso's made $1.7 million from the Mets in the last two and a half years. And he's made $2 million from the home run Derby. Yeah. <laughs> If you've ever needed a, a a burning indictment of the salary structure and the way that baseball players get paid, it's that Pete Alonso has made more money winning two home run derbies than he has from the uh, New York Mets, who are his primary source of income. So, no, it, it was it was a great weekend. You know, the weather held up. Uh, I think everything. You know, there was the the scare with the maid finding. Um, you know, some stuff in the hotel across the street and you saw some buzz on social media that security was pretty ramped up uh, around the ballpark. But from a visual experience for everybody in the country that wasn't in Denver and for most of what people were seeing in Denver, it was a raging success. It was absolutely gorgeous. The players were great. Um, you know, I the only thing I would stop is I would get rid of the the hot mic on guys while they're trying to bat. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, like Freddie pitch. Freeman does, and, and most of the guys were just ignoring Joe Buck. Like, yeah, don't ask me what I'm looking for here because I'm going to say fastball before the guy puts his fingers down. <laughs> like, but like I'm so, looking for was, a fastball. It was so distracting. It seemed to me like you know uh, that that was to me that was the biggest thing. I mean, you get a guy, you know, in the baddest box or something before he steps up. Fine, you get a guy in the bullpen or whatever. But I mean, on the mound and stuff, and 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 it was it was it was awkward, and and like I said, you, what you mentioned before about the profanity and all that other stuff, and um, I think uh, um, I'm sorry, who was who was the guy who closed out for the uh, American League? Liam Hendricks. So Hendricks, so the catcher came up and he had said to him, I said, you know, are they, you know, can you hear him in the rear or whatever, and and he didn't, and he said something, and he says, no, I can't, I can't hear him anyway, it doesn't matter or something like that or whatever. It was just yeah. so even that technical aspect of it coming across on a production end, it was um, you know came off you know sounding just kind of cheesy and I and I and I get it man like I said uh, they were ignoring Buck I mean so yeah I agree with you get rid of it I don't think it's necessary unless it's like I said you know out out in the uh, in the pen or in the, in the batter's box or or maybe a guy standing on first base but yeah i think i think the the only i mean sometimes you know if you've got an outfielder who you can legitimately carry on a conversation with cuz he might have to go get one gotcha okay uh, i i i think you know when you've got guys like Freddie Freeman or Anthony Rizzo who wasn't an all-star at first base who kind of like they're talkative and they've got great personalities and they're always talking up guys when they get to first base anyway I think that's okay, but like when a guy's trying to bat, I just I that I can't stand. And with the Hendricks thing, 
that just made me laugh because you've got a dude who's notorious for just screaming at himself yeah. on the mound and having zero filter whatsoever. <laughs> and you put a hot mic on him and he admits that he can't hear anything. So I think his assumption was that there was no way that the mic was going to be on if he can't hear the booth. Mm-hmm. And they just let it roll. And that dude's uh, he expanded the vocabulary of at least 20% of the 10-year-olds in the country. Um, a couple of goddamn it's in there, all right. <laughs> oh, yeah, a couple of F-bombs. You know, it, it's it's the stuff that you really need in life is to find out that if a closer's breaking ball isn't working. Oh, and the fact that uh, you come to find out on Twitter that he threw an 83-mile-an-hour knuckleball. He'd never thrown a knuckleball before, and he I think it was John Boy or Pitching Ninja uh, said, if you throw a knuckleball, we'll try and get a bunch of people. We'll, we'll throw it out there on social media that if you throw a knuckleball – uh, give money to a charity or whatever. And he was like, yeah, people give money to my charity. I'll throw a knuckleball in the game. So he threw like an 83 mile an hour knuckleball and all the stat nerds had no clue. Like I think Statcast, I think somebody tweeted that the RPMs on that came back at like 3,900, which is like 1500 more than normal. Wow. Because if there's no rotation, it, the thing doesn't calculate anything. So so he threw so he threw a knuckleball eighty three miles an hour and uh, and then cursed a whole bunch and Fox will have to pay those fines but I mean but it, again it's an exhibition and I you know we talk about all the you know whether or not we like Joe Buck and interviews during games and stuff like that and we've been highly critical here on Line Drive Radio of Rob Manfred hating baseball not getting it and a lot of other things and we're going to talk about something else that Rob Manfred did during the home the All Star Week. Um, that was great, but I appreciate that, especially after Bud Selig made the the All Star Game winner, the determination of who had home field advantage in the World Series, which I think was one of the great debacles in like just meaningless crap in professional sports. Um, that Rob Manfred of Major League Baseball acknowledged that this is an exhibition and considered Shohei Otani for the function of the game two separate players. He was voted the starting DH by the fans and he was selected the starting pitcher by his peers and the manager. And so major league baseball allowed Kevin cash, the manager of the Tampa Bay Rays last year's American league champion got to manage the AL squad in the all-star game. They allowed him to pitch him one inning, but leave him in as the DH so he could get multiple at bats without the traditional rule of if you're the pitcher, you come out, you'd lose your bet. So I thought that was good. Like it, that's what it should have been. Like I, people want to see this kid play. Uh, and no matter what Stephen A. Smith wants to say, he is one of the new faces of baseball. Uh, he is the cover of video games, cover cereal boxes. Uh, every time you turn on sports center, you're seeing Shohei Otani. He's the, one of the faces of the game. Uh, the game is better for him. He's doing things that we have legitimately never seen before. Um, because he is being more exceptional, more dominant at both simultaneously than I would submit even Babe Ruth really was. Um, and so this is something that we should celebrate and be excited about, and I'm glad baseball afforded him and the American League manager the ability to get as much as we possibly could out of him with the respectfulness that you were still going to get J.D. Martinez at bats and other guys were going to come in. But people want to see Shohei, and they got to see him, and that was great. Yeah, no, I, that's my old, overall take from the whole two days is, is number one, you know, it was great to see the ballpark packed till the end of everything. Yeah. Um, that was awesome to see. And the players generally just had a great time. I mean, even, you know, Otani here and, and, and even Soto there in the first round and the rest guys, Alano and, and Trey Mancini and all the storylines from the home room derby. And then just during the course of the game, it just seemed like everybody was having a great time, you know, and I think that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing for me. It was enjoyable to watch. Uh, even, you know, Fox coverage was good of it, minus the microphone and all that other stuff. But um, it was it was a lot of fun, and I hope – I mean, I didn't see the ratings for it, Tab. I don't know if you did either, but, um, I mean, I hope I hope everybody got a take in it because, like I said, what me and you have been doing here, and, and especially you, just touting – the young talent and the quality of the players here in the league, uh, especially this season on, on the eve of 
of the CBA, and I know we'll get into Manfred stuff here and some of the stuff that he spoke about in terms of uh, the rules and, and, and the league going forward. But, um, you know, that's what that's what you're hoping to see, and that's what I took from it. I did, it was just a great success. Obviously, we go back to the controversy of it being moved from Atlanta uh, to Denver. But, um, you know, a tip of the cap to the, the city of Denver, Colorado, all the fans uh, just being there, and it was uh, fantastic. And like I said, it looked like everybody had a great time and as far as baseball and America's pastime, I think you got a great window of it for these two days. Yeah, and let's not sell short here that uh, usually the host city has a couple years to get ready. And Major League Baseball made the switch from Atlanta on April 6th. So you had three months to get ready for something that you usually get two years to get ready for. And Denver showed out. So... Yeah, you're right. Mad respect to the city of Denver. You you did an amazing job. And Major League Baseball looked great. You know, it looks like the TV numbers were up a little bit from last year, which is great. Um, but those who watched, I think, had to be impressed. Um, and even with the Houston Astros being no-shows, I think you still had a very uh, strong representation from a lot of guys, and I, the great what I love about the All Star Game. The one thing I do like about every team having somebody there is you might find out about some guys that you don't normally see because national TV really only shows you Cubs, Cardinals, or Red Sox, Yankees, or Dodgers against someone. So you got to learn more about the you know the Kevin Newmans and Cedric Mullins of the world, uh, and that was that's always great. Uh, and I think that you had some some new faces emerge. More than 40 first-time All-Stars this year. So you had a lot of guys really living it up because it was their first crack at it. So very cool stuff. But, yeah, overall, I'd, I'd give you know three thumbs up and an A-plus to the All-Star game, the home run derby and everything around it because I think that Denver did a great job. Major League Baseball did a great job. Just tremendous all over the, all over the uh, report card, if you will. And, Ted, last thing on this, uh, you know, I'm look, me and you are old-school baseball fans as far as the All-Star Game tradition with respect to um, the the uniforms, the guys wearing their hats and their and their you know, their unis from their team and everything, and that was a big thing, too, about them, uh, you know, all you know the, the uniforms that they wore for the All-Star Game. You know, sitting back and looking at it, I didn't have much of a problem with it. And, you know, me and you were hockey guys, too, and as far as jerseys and logos and aesthetics and all that other stuff, I'm a big guy on that being a design guy. I didn't think they were too bad. I mean, I can live with it or live without it, and I know they're talking about continuing on with um, having the singular uniforms for each team going forward. But um, it wasn't as bad as I think everybody was kind of talking about it. And even against the tradition side of it, um, and I think I'd probably love to go back that way of having the guys in their uh, team's jersey. But uh, maybe just your last thoughts on that visually, what you you took from the uh, the All-Star jerseys. Oh, gag reflex. I thought they were atrocious. I, <laughs> look, I mean, there, there were – I think the American leagues were much better than the National Leagues because you had – you know, the some of the team's logos on, on the Navy with the team logo in white over the top of whatever, the three letters on the chest. Some of the team's logos, like the Red Sox and the Yankees, the white logo just popped a little bit better. Um, but like the, the dark blue jersey and pants with the stripe on the American League, they look like co-ed softball uniforms from like 1984. <laughs> Um, like it, it, it looked like they went and raided like the crew closet from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And I have opened up a can of worms here, folks, on LDR. And, so, and sewed <laughs> names on the back of the uniforms. No, I mean, I, I and, and they don't have to be the team's uniforms. I think that as traditionalists, you, you love to see that. But just it, these did nothing for me with the three letters for the city and some ridiculous font and then the logo over the top of it. The National League version, the hats were hot. The hats were fire. I'm, I'll, I'm probably going to go buy a Sox hat because the purple star and then the logo in red. I think they nailed the hats. But again, like the, I just too much going on. It was like, oh, this would be cool. Yeah, let's throw that in there. Ooh, maybe this too. It's like, no, just get rid of, get rid of all of it. Just go with something crisp and clean if you're going to go unified. They really did nothing for me. The National League looked like they were going to go paint a house together. Uh, and the American League, like I said, looked like an early 80s co-ed softball team. So 
Um, so yeah, my 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 enduring reaction to the uh, jerseys from the 2021 All Star Game is a gag reflex. Note to self: cancel Amazon gift to tab <laughs> of White Sox All Star jersey. Cancel that right now. Only send the hat. Okay, I was writing that down. All right, last couple of things to, before we break away from the All Star Game is. Um, uh, Commissioner uh, Manfred had, had, had made some statements, as he always does, talking about some of the rules that they're probably not going to continue with in the future, which I'm sure me, you, and, and a lot of other people are, are very happy to hear. And also, the uh, I'll, I'll let you uh, talk about the uh, MLB, MLB's uh, introduction and commitment to the uh, Players Alliance uh, with regards to diversity in the game in the future. Yeah, I mean, with, the, with regards to the rules, Rob Manfred said that the seven-inning doubleheaders um, – May or may not stick. It sounds like they're leaning away from it. They've actually had more positive feedback than they anticipated. Um, but he said that that's really a a, a COVID-driven thing for last year and this year, trying to help save pitching, which, again, the irony of that is you change the rules that pitchers can't use sticky stuff in the middle of the season and don't care about their health with that, but you're going to do that seven-inning doubleheaders. Soapbox off. Um <laughs> And then they're they're not going to look, you know, as, as anyone who coaches or hangs out with kids that play baseball, abbreviated California rules, they're not going to start extra innings with a runner on second base anymore. Um, they never should have done that in the first place. I understand, you know, moving the game along. Um, if they want to start it in like the 12th or 13th inning to keep us from playing 12-hour games, maybe. But... I mean, from again, my problem is you can throw a perfect game and lose if you go 10 innings and two sack flies and you get a run in and lose one to nothing. That doesn't work for me. There's nothing. Baseball, what we love about sports is that the playing field is an equalizer and you have to earn what you get. And if you're putting a guy in second base, you don't have to earn anything. Um, and so... Uh, you know, it's like saying, well, you know what? They're down 25, so we're going to let them dunk instead of shoot free throws. It's stupid. So I'm glad that they got – like I, Little League tournaments, like we're doing down here in Indianapolis, if you've got an hour 45 time limit and you got a game coming in 15 minutes and you got to keep the thing moving, I get that. Um, but at the Major League level where these guys are getting paid millions of dollars and people are paying hundreds of dollars for tickets to watch a game play out the way that it naturally should mm-hmm. and there is no time limit, Finish it. Like, do it right. So that, that rule was always stupid to me. The seven-inning doubleheaders, I understand it. I think I'm relatively okay with that because I think that a lot of the players have responded positively. But I don't think there's any chance that the Players Association is really going to ever get fully behind it because you're costing guys plate appearances. And with doubleheaders, you get an extra roster spot. That's costing guys an opportunity to come up and, and get a crack at it. So... I can't imagine that the Players Association is going to want to take those innings and plate appearances away from individuals that have financial incentives to do that. I mean, the Mets are going to play like 35 doubleheaders this year, which means they're going to lose 70 innings worth of you know, plate appearances and innings pitched. So, uh, so that's a big deal when you start thinking about how that stuff can legitimately pile up and, and cost guys potentially incentives. So, uh, and then the, just the BS that we're not going to, we're going to call that a complete game, but not allow them to be considered full no hitters, like get bent with that rule too, but a whole other soapbox. So yeah, I'm glad Manfred got rid of, spoke about those. It looks like he's sticking with those being COVID related. So I was pretty excited to hear about those two uh, rule situations and the fact that Rob Manfred was, uh, seemed like those conversations were in a pretty good place with the players association, which was encouraging because I think we've talked about it at times here. There there's legitimate concern because of some of the things that have been done, gone on, whatever um, with especially the, the sticky stuff situation in the last, you know, month, I guess now uh, that there's a, you know, there's a the water is starting to bubble a little bit, uh, coming to a boil, with uh, between the commissioner's office and the players' association, and they have a new collective bargaining agreement that they have to knock out at the end of this year. Um, so the fact that it seemed 
that those conversations with the Players Association were moving along pretty well was a was at least a positive step. Um, you know, there, I think those are the easy ones to have. Those are the easy conversations to have. But, you know, like any negotiation, you know, you know, trying to get out for an extra couple hours with your with your buddies to to watch a game or trying to get away with, you know, buying a lazy boy instead of a generic recliner, whatever. You got to negotiate the easy stuff before you swing big. And so baby steps. And I think the fact that they're making good progress on those was was very positive. So I was happy to see that. Um, You also mentioned the Players Alliance, and we wanted to spend a couple of minutes here on Line Drive Radio talking about that because that's – I, I, I'm going to be bold here. I'm going to say that this will be the defining element of Rob Manfred's legacy as commissioner of Major League Baseball. Okay. Um, the, for those that didn't catch the press conference uh, or the announcement, um, on Monday this week, Rob Manfred had a press conference um, and announced that Major League Baseball made the most significant philanthropic commitment in the history of the league proper. On behalf of owners, uh, MLB committed at least $100 million across 10 years to the Players Alliance, and it's going to help raise an additional $50 million. And the entire point of this is to try and get uh, increased exposure to baseball in urban centers, try and get more uh, black kids, uh, persons of color in the country to, to have the opportunity to play baseball, uh, which is awesome. Um, especially when you consider this happening in the backdrop of the stupidity of Stephen A. Smith. But the, the Players Alliance, if you're not familiar, is uh, it's incredible. It was started last year um, during the pandemic. Uh, there were a bunch of guys uh, like Curtis Granderson, CeCe Sabathia, you know, two of the just tremendous ambassadors of the game, legitimate role models, um, who had their own nonprofit stuff. They had their own interests. They were doing their own thing in cities that they'd played in or grown up in, um, trying to get more opportunities for, uh, you know, young kids of color to get a chance to play baseball. And finally they got together and said, if we do this on our own, if, if Sabathia is just doing it in New York and Granderson's just doing it in Chicago, and Edwin Jackson's doing it somewhere else. And there's a couple other guys that kind of have one-off things. If we're all doing this by ourselves and working with Major League Baseball's RBI program, like we'll be able to make a little bit of a dent. But if we band together as current and former players, and there are like 150 current and former players who are part of the Players Alliance now, if we band together, we got a much better chance of, A, getting more kids involved, and B, getting a more significant commitment from Major League Baseball. And this year on Jackie Robinson Day, more than 500 players donated either a portion or all of their game day salaries uh, to the Players Alliance. Um, And they, you know, in the offseason, they went out and gave gloves out. They did, like, I think Curtis Granderson said 33 events in 40 days or something like that. Getting equipment, bats, gloves, balls in the hands of these young kids. Um, and just promoting the game and making it more accessible to kids, you know, investing in infrastructure, cleaning up fields, building fields. Um, I think that's the biggest thing is that the real estate becomes so expensive that and if no one's there to maintain it, it goes by the wayside. And then you've just got, you know, a backstop that looks like crap and you've got a field that's overgrown with weeds. And, and they're committing resources and manpower to cleaning this stuff up and providing providing a bona fide opportunity to kids of of color to be exposed to the game and like i said for all that i talk about you know somewhat tongue-in-cheek somewhat seriously that rob manford hates baseball because he complains more about pace of play than promoting the young great players this I submit will be the defining legacy of Rob Manfred's time as commissioner of major league baseball, because this is a huge commitment. The the financial side begins in 2023 because there's already a a two year commitment. I think it was $10 million for major league baseball to help the players Alliance jump off. 
but this is going to alter the di- what the game looks like for the next 50 years and maybe longer because you're going to have baseball more available, more accessible, uh, and have more people have a chance to play. And the more people who play, the better the odds are that you're going to have better athletes playing the game and you're going to have better personalities and better players who may have chosen football or basketball or lacrosse or anything else. If they get a chance to play baseball and they fall in love with baseball and they pursue it and they chase their dreams and they have the chance to do that, who knows, the sky's the limit. And we might have another Curtis Granderson or we might have another Cedric Mullins um, come out of this program. We might have 50 Curtis Grandersons and Cedric Mullins. Um, and that's what's really exciting. And I, I'm a huge believer that if you, if you give kids an opportunity to see their dream and then create a visual path for them to chase it, even as ridiculous and damn near impossible as it is to attain the dream of reaching the major leagues. If you, if you can't even find a field to play on, you can't even dream it. But if you've got a field that you can play on and you can go down there in the off season and meet someone like Mullins or Sabathia or Granderson or Edwin Jackson or Jason Hayward, um, if you can see someone and meet someone and see somewhere to play and have the equipment to play and have the opportunity to dream it, you can realize it. And that's what's so big about this. So I standing ovation for Rob Manfred, uh, Dick Manfred, the owner of the Rockies. Great hearing him speak about how this was a no brainer for the owners should be a no brainer. Um, but the, the level of the commitment is huge. And the guys that are running it, Sabathian Granderson, Granderson should be either the director of the players association or the commissioner. Um, and I love Tony Clark, but Curtis Granderson's one of the best things that ever happened to baseball. He's brilliant, and so you've got the right people that are going to take these funds and really put them into valuable, actionable, effective ways to get kids in, into the game. So standing ovation to Major League Baseball and the guys that are running the Players Alliance for making this happen because, man, it, we needed it, and it was, uh, it was great to see this happen. So, Tab, I mean, we could probably save this for another show with uh, more time, but I guess I sit back here, and I, I guess my first question, or not question, I guess it is a question. It's like, I, I, I sit back and go, I, you know, I would be surprised. Why, why, why so long? Why now? Why, why do the players have to do this? With all the money that's in baseball, I'm just kind of curious as to why something like this hadn't already been in process. Now, I know trends as far as the the last few decades as far as baseball and recruitment and and black players being in the game and and I know those numbers have gone down and I know that's definitely been something that's been of concern uh in years past uh and maybe this is obviously uh, you know why this is being done now because of that the drop in the numbers of recruitment for uh black players in baseball but I guess that's my thing. I can I guess I'm sitting back. I think this is fantastic. It's awesome. The bottom line is is that it's 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 underway. It's going to happen. And there's um, there's a directive here now, and there's some great people involved with this. But I guess I have to sit back and scratch my head and go, wow, why did this take so long? Well, you know, I, so Major League Baseball started to address this with the RBI program, but a lot of again, a lot of what was happening to try and address this problem was being organized in a way that it was being funded and executed at a local level. So the White Sox involvement with the RBI program has been really good. And there've been kids drafted out of that RBI program. Um, Some other teams have had, you know, really strong, consistent involvement in the RBI program. But again, that's all like a local level team driven initiative Um, and you know, at the end of the day, teams, primary objectives are to win baseball games at the major league level and their nonprofits are going to have a lot of stuff going on. And the level which a major league organization is going to commit time, manpower, resources, financial, and otherwise to something like an RBI program is, is up to the organization's level of care, I guess, to be blunt, whether or not they care is kind of up to each individual organization. And like I said, guys like Curtis Granderson and Jackson and Sabathia and a lot of others had their own one-off groups that were trying to start affecting change 
in this regard. Uh, but they were, again, all doing it individually. And during the pandemic, conversations started. And, you know, as Granderson said in the press conference, um, it took the, some of these guys getting together on Zoom to think much bigger than they had before. And so what took so long was uh, a, a collection of really special individuals. And, and I'm, I'm confident saying that Sabathia and Granderson and, and some of the other guys that are helping to found the Players Alliance are special individuals with big dreams uh, that they were able to visualize something and, and put in a plan together and organize something that had much better uh, and bigger bandwidth to address these problems than what had been tried in the past. And so um, really it just took somebody with much better vision than we'd had in the past uh, and to, to go macro instead of local. And I, I applaud them for doing this because it's going to be something that's really going to make a huge impact. And, you know, $150 million sounds like a lot of money when you consider over 10 years and how many places they got to go and, and how much some of this equipment actually costs. You know, are, does that mean that every kid's going to get in a travel league from the jump? No, but it is going to provide opportunities. And what you need is the door to be open or at least be able to see the door at the end of the hallway. Um, and that's what this is going to do. So, again, standing ovation for it. And, yeah, it's well overdue. But someone had to visualize something that was much bigger than what a lot of individuals and local level organizations and teams and Major League Baseball was even doing at the local level and find a way to really bring together a, an impactful plan to go national with something. And that's what they're doing at the Players Alliance. So kudos to them, standing ovation. Good stuff. And I uh, look forward to uh, seeing this kind of grow and, and seeing it make a difference uh, definitely for the future of baseball. Good stuff. All right, tabs on the road. we got a quick show here today. We're going to just take a, a quick break here. Uh, Line Drive Radio on Revolver Podcast. We'll be right back, and we're going to look uh, a little quick look at the second half. We're second half of the season here and maybe a couple predictions. All right, you're listening to Line Drive Radio on the Revolver Podcast Network. <laughs> All-Star game. And now the, uh, the serious stuff starts happening as the second half of the season gets underway. We're going to see some moves in the standings, and we're also going to probably see some moves off the field, too, with players changing teams, helping other teams, helping their causes. Um, who will be the division winners? Who will be the MVPs? Who will be the Cy Young winners? And who's going to be the rookie of the year? Tab has all these answers for you right now. <laughs> oh, man. Where's my Voltar when I need him? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we're not going to do our weekly fantasy pick-to-click this week because the games are off this week. Um, and coming out of the All-Star game, you know, I think it's fun to just take a couple minutes and spitball a little bit and, and throw some stuff at the wall and see – you know, at the beginning of the season, we made some predictions. Uh, some of them might hold up better than others. Uh, you know, I said Jack Flaherty would be was my pick to for the National League Cy Young Award, uh, and just because it felt too easy to pick Jacob Degrom, I think if we're real, Jacob Degrom, if he stays in one piece, is going to win it. Unfortunately, Jack Flaherty looked like he had a legit chance at at pushing him for it um, until he got hurt swinging a bat which, of course, would have been solved if we had a universal DH. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, it, it, maybe we'll both make, you know, a, a couple bold statements here about what we think the second half is going to look like. I think my biggest bold statement, it's not a bold statement to say Jacob deGrom is going to win the National League Cy Young Award, but I'll go as far as to say uh, that we will have two pitchers win the most valuable player awards this year. I'm going to say that the MVPs are DeGrom and Shohei. And I know a lot of people don't like MVPs being pitchers because they've got to say young for that. But, And you know what? If Vladimir Guerrero Jr. wins the Triple Crown, which right now he leads the American League and runs batted in batting average, and he's second in home run, so he's got a bona fide shot at it. But I'm going to say Shohei Otani is the American League MVP and Jacob DeGrom is the National League MVP. 
Well, with the Mets, I would just, you know, just hold on there because, unfortunately, uh, they have a history of injuries hitting their team at the worst times. Yeah. And, uh, this is always possible uh, in Flushing. So, uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I mean, those are two of the, the, the brightest stars here in the league. Uh, you know, uh, they're, they're great picks, and you hope everything kind of turns out that way and it, it ends up that way. I'm going to say Garrett Cole is going to be uh, MVP because the Yankees are going to come back here and they're going to win the whole damn thing at the end and Garrett Cole is going to be a big reason and uh, right before the All-Star game he pitched the gem baby I know we didn't get a chance to talk about that but um I think he's going to be a big part of it uh well, he's back in Houston it. maybe maybe he uh, had his guy you know with the, with the goon. oh man come on there were no garbage ba- uh cans being banged that day oh boy <laughs> uh yeah I mean uh, I think if if the if the Yankees are going to make a run, he's going to have to be special because I don't know that with the Yankees coming out of the All Star break, eight games out in the American League East, um, with the f- worst run differential outside of Baltimore in that division, I don't know that they're in buy mode. I think I think Brian Cashman is going to be in retool slash sell mode like he was in 2016, uh, and the problem that he has is. Aroldis Chapman makes a lot of money and he hasn't been good. So you can't go get a Glaber Torres for your closer as a rental this year. Um, we missed so, and, so much. Man. And I, you know what? I, I think next week on Line Drive Radio, we're going to go all in with our trade deadline uh, picks and predictions. So we won't spend a lot of time on that today. No. Um, but, you know, if Garrett Cole get, gets has a huge second half, I think he could steal the Cy Young Award in the American League. Um, especially with the number of guys that are hurt this year. But uh, but the Yankees have got a long uphill climb. And um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see if what the Yankees do, uh, because Toronto obviously has now the, all, the youngest MVP of the All-Star game in history on their side. Um, so they're not going anywhere. Tampa keeps bringing up studs, and Boston has uh, the best record in the American League tied with Houston right now though if you're going based on percentage points it is the chicago white Sox uh with a 607 winning percentage of 54 and 35 19 games over 500 riding a five game win streak into the break the longest win streak in the american league at the break uh with minnesota having won four straight and still tied with detroit 15 games back um you know i i'm gonna stick with the white Sox getting to the world series out of the american league i just even with all their injuries, you know, Eloy Jimenez went back on it when his rehab assignment at the end of last week. He's going to be back. They're going to get healthy, and their pitching has just been dominant. I mean, the beginning of the season, if I told you the White Sox were going to have a couple pitchers in the All-Star game, you probably would have said Lucas Giolito and Liam Hendricks. Uh, I don't think anybody in their right mind would have assumed that Carlos Rodon was going to get a trip to Denver. So, you know, Lance Lynn, Carlos Rodon, Lucas Giolito, Dallas Keuchel, their rotation is as deep and good as anybody's in baseball. Their bullpen is good. I think they'll add. Um, and if they can just get their bats healthy, I mean, they're going to go through a stretch here with no Riaz Money Grandal behind the plate. So they might have to look to rent a catcher for a couple months. But I'm sticking with the White Sox getting to the World Series because they're just, they've been able to overcome so many significant injuries this year and just roll that it's hard for me to go against them. National League, uh, I'm going to actually uh, go with – I'm going to go with the Padres, who I totally dismissed in my preseason picks. I'm going to say the Padres get to the World Series because I, I just – with Trevor Bauer's leave getting extended and all the off-field stuff that he's got to deal with, unless the Giants do something really bold and drastic at the deadline – unless the Brewers add a significant bat, I just think the Padres have more, more bats and more arms than anybody in the national league. Uh, that's chasing a playoff spot right now. So I'm going to go Padres, white Sox, the, uh, the James Shields world series, uh, <laughs> Tatis against the white Sox in the world series, man, that would hurt. But yeah, so that's, that's my final bold prediction. Uh, I'm at this, uh, on, on, uh, July 15th, in the year of our Lord, 2021, I'm going to go Padres, White Sox, World Series. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty close to what we were talking about at the beginning of the season when we were making our predictions, too. I mean, I'm, you know, obviously Yankees with me, uh, 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm still, I, I know it, it's like joking around, but I just have this vibe. They're going to make a, a, a good second half run here, uh, despite, uh, everything that's about them. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just interesting to see what happens. You know, I tab, you know, at this point in the season with baseball and, and all the moves that we still have to make, uh, to make these predictions here, I'm kind of, in terms of the Padres matching up against the Giants in terms of how, how many times they played each other so far this year. Uh, and and the rest of the way to go here, I, I th- I'm gonna I'm gonna actually I'm gonna stay with the Giants. I think they're gonna just shock everybody. Wow, and get there now. Yeah, I like it. I mean, look, it, like I said, I think the Giants and Brewers are in a position right now that is enviable because they're both in first place. They've had really good starts to the season. Their first halves, well, I think. Milwaukee was supposed to be there, but I think that, you know, the way that they've gotten out to a 14-game over 500 jump here far exceeds that. The Giants being 25 games over 500 with the best record in baseball, no one, maybe even the spouses of the players, saw that coming. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I think... That's a serious it, record there. That's ridiculous. And seven and three in their last ten before the break, four game win streak going into the break, which is the longest win streak in the National League. Um, and what's what's different about the Giants is they've got some guys that were part of that core group that won those World Series ten years ago, who hung around and they retooled around them, and they didn't give up on them. But you've got guys like Brandon Crawford who are at the end, you know, kind of at the end of. Their contract, Buster Posey's a little dinged up right now, but you've got some guys that are kind of coming towards the end of it. And you've got some other guys who are uh, just getting into it, just getting into their career. So you've got this balance of old and young. But the one thing that we know about the Giants is they've never been shy to spend money when they feel like they've got a shot. And if they've got a shot, they've got deep pockets. Uh, If there was one team that was in a position to really go big game hunting here, before the trade deadline and really swing big and go make a couple blockbuster trades. It might be the Giants. Now, their GM is, isn't going to mortgage the future for right now. You know, He's not a guy who's going to move his top seven prospects in two trades to try and win right now. But that being said, uh, I don't think the Giants are going to back away from doing something dramatic because they've got – a two-game lead on the Dodgers. They're six up on the Padres. They've got a chance to do something really, really special here. And I think if they if they make a couple deals, they could. So I'm not going to shy away from it. I just I think the Padres don't have to do as much to get there. And when you get into a seven-game series, I think if they roll with what they've got, they've got a really good chance. So, but this is what's fun. And you know, in the coming weeks, you know, we got a couple weeks before the trade deadline and. Here on Line Drive Radio, I'm sure we're going to have a plenty to talk about as we uh, as we get into the the heat of the trade deadline bananas. Yeah, and, uh, and just real quick, they've got seven games coming up against the Dodgers the rest of this month here, um, and they've got you know they've got a lot of games against Arizona here before they get to uh, a couple of. Uh, two series against the Mets home and away, and then uh, uh, real quick, a little sleeper. Um, if it's not the Yankees, uh, I'd like to see the A's come out of the. Uh, American League, be fun. I like it. I like it. And you know what? They they might they might go rent somebody big. They might go get a Trevor Story or Nelson Cruz before the deadline. So I like it. All right. So uh, real quick, as far as Rookie of the Year, who are you leaning towards? So Cy Young. I'm gonna go Lance Lynn, Jacob Degrom, MVP Shohei Otani, Jacob Degrom, uh, Rookies of the Year. I'm gonna go uh, Trevor Rogers. Uh, pitcher for the Marlins in the National League. Uh, and uh, though it would have been uh, your friend and mine, your mean Mercedes, before he got demoted, <laughs> uh, punted to the curb. Um, I'm going to go Adolis Garcia in with the Texas Rangers, who's a little bit older, but uh, made an, uh, an appearance in the All-Star game. Uh, so Adolis Garcia, the Rangers in the American League, Trevor Rogers of the Marlins in the National League. Good stuff. Hey, how's your boy Juan DeFranco doing? Yeah, small sample size. Uh, I, 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 I tend to want to give a guy a year and a half before I make a judgment, but it, let's at least give him six weeks, and then we'll revisit whether or not he's ready for prime time. But I think he's going to be a stud. I think he's going to be an absolute superstar. Absolutely good stuff there. Um, so, you know, I mean, some, 
you know, for me, Tab, I mean, you're more on this than I am as far as, uh, you know, looking at some of these guys in terms of where they're going to turn out. Uh, for me, I get lost in it sometimes because there's just so much talent out there. And the second half of the season for me, too, is also with uh, just injuries and, and, and seeing how these guys might uh, end up, uh, you know, um, playing through some of this stuff and where they're going to end up. But no doubt about it, I mean, there's some some good guys to look out here and, and some just some top talent to, to run against for these uh, the Cy Young here and the MVPs and obviously the Rookie of the Year candidates, too, but but all good stuff. Is there anything you want to touch on here um, for this show as far as the, the second half of the season, or do you want to swing back to that as we go forward? I think we'll swing back, and, and we'll do some trade deadline stuff next week. I think uh, we, we, we've had a good break, and now we're ready to ready to jump into the second half of the year. So uh, I think we'll, we'll look at some trade deadline stuff and, and keep pushing the ball forward on that stuff here in the coming weeks. All good stuff to look forward to. Like I said, it's a quick show today here on LDR. Tab's out trying to win rings in Little League tournaments out there in Indianapolis. And we wish yep. him all the best of luck, man. Bring home the bring home the mantles, the, the trophies, the awards. Bring them back to Chicago. We're chasing the hardware, kids. Uh, go watch some minor league baseball. Enjoy the day. Grab a glove, grab a ball. Go play baseball, y'all. Good stuff. All right. So on behalf of Paul and Tab and Revolver Podcast Network, Live Drive is out this week. Enjoy the baseball. We'll catch up with you next week. Take care, everybody. See Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.